In fact, there is no moral conservatism in Canada anymore. There may be fiscal conservatism, those who want to be a a more frugal approach, less taxes, less spending. And there are parties and members of Parliament who take that stand. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we are bringing a message on righteousness, exalt of the nation, from the book of Proverbs, and that's the main message on this Friday. And I hope that you will be encouraged through the Lord's Word as we speak the things of God that pertain to godliness. Yes, our gospel is a gospel according to godliness. If it does not lead men and women to a godly life, it's not the gospel. If it does not lead people to honesty, purity, righteousness, and living in the the center of God's will, then it's not the good news that Jesus brought into the world because he came to proclaim the love of God and how to have communion with God. Our Bible reading today is in Genesis chapter 4, and uh, I'd like you to consider getting our Bible study notes. You can get this these online uh, at our website, ltbs.ca. But let's read from Genesis 4. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel, and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. Well, we'll leave our Bible reading there for today, and let's have a short prayer as we uh, bring our message that the Lord would use his word in your heart. Father, we thank thee that we have the, the truth of God here in the scriptures of truth. We thank thee for this great gift of the divine record of man, human history, the world, creation, and your judgment even in the days of Noah. These things are written for our learning, that we might be delivered from sin, that we might walk with God, 
and, of course, that we might know Christ our Savior. We pray today that you will work by your Spirit in every hearer's heart. Lord, lift the burdens of your people, comfort those that sorrow, and may your healing touch be granted to those that have trouble in the body, and we pray for your presence. O Lord, it is your gracious, wonderful presence that maketh life so rich and blessed for the children of God. We ask your blessing now upon your word. O Lord, answer for us, we pray, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I mentioned there that we have study notes on these early chapters of Genesis, and if you choose to go to our website and look at resources, Bible studies, you'll find it. ltbs.ca is our website. Now turn, please, with me to uh, this message on righteousness, exalt of the nation. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of living for Jesus, for the joy of serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and no longer the Prince of Darkness, that you have given us this new life, this new liberty, and that while we are still in this body and in the world, yet we are new creatures, that we are born from above, and that you have given us a new life and a new reason to serve God. We pray that you will minister to us through this, this very familiar text. But, O oh Lord, make it, make it to live in us, and us to live it out in our lives each day. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. O oh Lord, write this on our hearts. Minister to us now, we pray, in our Savior's precious name. Amen. Amen. So then, our text is this chapter 14 and verse 34. In seeking a title for this message, and sometimes that's a preacher's struggle, what is really the essence of this? And of course, we like to come up with something that is memorable, something that's easy to lay hold on, and just uh, put it out as a clear statement. Well, I, I began to realize that there is no better title than the text itself. Uh, and the title should really be, Righteousness Exalteth. And that's true in every situation of life, in our own personal walk, in our families, in our business, employment, and in the nation, where it really is just a, a multiplying of what should be taking place in our homes and in our local communities. Now, there is an exegetical difficulty in this text. And for those who like to use their concordance and dig uh, beyond the surface of the English translation, uh, you will discover that this text has been translated with uh, some liberty. Uh, yet it stands as one of the great truths of not only the Bible, but natural law. Righteousness exalteth. When you do the right, good follows. When you stand for truth, God is pleased to help you and to strengthen you. And this truth 
will still stand right to the very judgment day. Righteousness exalteth, and those who do righteous, their works will follow them, and they will stand the test of judgment. Now, in light of this text, we have to say that there is something wrong with Canada. Our nation morally is spiraling downwards, and you don't need to have lived very long to witness this. In my time living in this country and preaching the gospel, trying to keep my ear to the, uh, the things that are going on in this nation, uh, we are witnessing the unthinkable. And we see in many fronts things that we thought would never be possible in this very privileged country. On the streets every day there are people dying from the drugs, the opioids, and the, the street life, and the vice that is there. It is a very sad story. On the Monday after our Reformation conference, Beulah and I took the Reverend Mook and his wife uh, down to Vancouver. We wanted to go drive through Stanley Park over Lionsgate Bridge, just show a few of the sights. And uh, we needed to call at a store. And as we were driving along number one, uh, I couldn't think of a store except on Hastings Street. Uh, because I used to go down there. For 10 years, I preached down at the Union Gospel Mission once a month until they opened their new building, and then everything changed, and they didn't want outside preachers coming in anymore. So I know Hastings Street very well, and I know there's any number of shops along there. And uh, so we ended up stopping and, and, and then proceeding along Hastings Street right toward the city center. And of course, you know that area. That is fearful. And it was a real eye-opener to our American friends um, who probably never witnessed that in a Canadian city. Uh, and I think most people have the idea that Canada is clean, Canada is innocent, Canada is meek and mild. It's not the radical U.S. You know, you've got the inner troubled inner cities, gang, gun warfare going on in the inner cities of the United States. Uh, that's not normally the image of Canada. And thankfully, for the most part, that gang and gun warfare is not to the same extent. But when you drive down Hastings Street and you see hundreds of people eking out a street life, uh, it is very, very concerning. And it is very sad. In our schools and government institutions, the Ten Commandments are gone. Bible reading, Bible memorization is gone. Very, very few places where the Bible is tolerated. In government, laws are being framed to diminish Christian values. Laws like Bill C-101, which is against Islamophobia, that has been added in. Bill C-51, which in part protects pastors and religious meetings, that has been removed. 
I would recommend to you a website by an MP called David Anderson. He's an MP in Saskatchewan, and he has a section on that of religious freedom. And there is very good information there uh, to see the, the many moves and the many uh, approaches that are being made to diminish laws that are for the protection of uh, Christianity and faith-based organizations. Let me read just one little section of this. Uh, this is Bill C-51-176. Everyone who by threats of force unlawfully obstructs or prevents or endeavors to obstruct or prevent a clergyman or minister from celebrating divine service or performing any other function in connection with his calling or knowing that a clergyman or minister, and it goes on right down to the end, everyone who at the, or near a meeting referred to in this subsection willfully does anything that disturbs the order or solemnity of the meeting is guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. That is removed. Bill C-51 took that right out of the criminal code in Canada. And I say again, you can read that on that website by MP David Anderson, uh, who is in Saskatchewan. So that is very concerning. What is happening? We have this law protecting against Islamophobia, and yet we have the removal of laws that are protecting the traditional manner of religious worship. Then there is corruption in government, scandals, greed, the failure of moral conservatism. In fact, there is no moral conservatism in Canada anymore. There may be fiscal conservatism, those who want to be a, a more frugal approach, less taxes, less spending. And there are parties and members of parliament who take that stand. But it comes to standing for morality, for the Ten Commandments. And really, for us as Christians, there is no other benchmark for morality. Uh, there is no one that can get elected and proceed with introducing anything in government legislation on that score. The result is that in this land, trust is at an all-time low. Values are more and more difficult to, to define. You know, people keep talking about our Canadian values. You just ask your neighbor, what are our Canadian values? You will have everything across the spectrum when you try to get down to it. Now, we need to remember what has been really a, a strong stand over the years, that what is morally wrong can never be politically correct. Now, I tried to get to the source of who actually coined that statement, and it has been attributed to any number of people, like Abraham Lincoln quoted it, uh, Edwin Burke in, uh, in Parliament quoted it, and various Gladstone was another one in the British Parliament. Uh, and so I've, I've not been able to get to who actually coined that statement, but it rings true. What is morally wrong can never be politically 
correct. And, of course, that would apply to this appeal or this argument before the Supreme Court by Trinity Western University. We would just pray, Lord, let these judges do the right thing. What is morally wrong can never be politically correct. Now, this ruling is, is critical. It will change the face of law in this country uh, for religious, religious organizations, schools, and churches for years uh, to come. Now, we all recognize that this is a land of great diversity, diversity of peoples from their various nationalities, their cultures, and also their religions. But within that diversity, there ought also to be room for faith. There ought also to be room for those who believe in the Lord and in the Bible itself. And so we are not seeking to live an experiment. And that's what this nation is being built and published as. We're going through an experiment. We're trying to see how we can live together as a people, and they're changing this law, changing that law, and of course, all the while, Christianity is being squeezed, and I fear being squeezed out. Now, taking this topic tonight, I want to answer just three questions. Firstly, when does a nation come under God's wrath? The question is posed right here in this text, that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so where do we cross the line from having God's approval, God's grace, and God's help to being under His reproach and therefore under His wrath? Well, my answer is that every nation is under God's wrath. Every nation. In Romans chapter 1, you have a list of the reasons that God's wrath is upon the nations. Now, this is a gospel focus, because as Paul lays out the gospel, Romans 1, 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, for herein is the righteousness of God. And then the next verse, verse 18, Romans 1.18, for, and this is the reason why he's not ashamed of the gospel, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And Romans 1 really is a very in-depth treatment of how God deals with ungodly nations, ungodly peoples, and you'll read down there in verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up. And then in verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And we see God dealing with sin. He's dealing with peoples and nations, giving them up to their evil practices and to their wicked ways. So when do people come under God's wrath? Well, it is when sin abounds. 
leaving the book of Romans, and we could say a lot more if you look at the first three chapters of this book, because that's the apostle's treatment of why the gospel is so imperative and why it must be preached, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we answer the question, when does a nation come under God's wrath, we must remember the flood. We must remember the state of the world prior to the flood in Noah's time. And you know this text, Genesis 6-3. God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And then God said He repented him that He had made man, and He went on to speak about the judgment that was coming, and then instructing Noah to build the ark, for the day of wrath was coming upon that very people. Then in that history, we move to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see how God could not tolerate the sin that was there. And the three men that appeared to Abram warned him that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram pleaded and prayed for the righteous. Turned out that there was only one that was Lot, and he had to be dragged out by the angels, and God poured His wrath upon those cities on the plain where there is now the Dead Sea. Now, to this day, the marks of God's judgment are visible. And if you look, uh, there is uh, a picture by the U.S. Congress Library. It's a photo of rock salt stalactites. Now, you remember how you learned at school what a stalactite is. Stalactite is an icicle that hangs tight, and it points downward. That's a stalactite. Well, in this rock formation, which is mostly salt, the dripping salt forms these stalactites that are hanging downwards, and they look like roots going downward from the rock formation. And this photographer uh, on a boat right along the shore was able to take these photographs of that rock formation of the salt. The Dead Sea speaks for itself, and if, if you uh, look at photographs or video of the area, it looks like a moonscape. Nothing lives there, nothing dwells there, and you can see the pillar of salt. Now, I'll not bank my reputation or knowledge that that is literally uh, Lot's wife who was turned into a pillar of salt. But such uh, rock formations are visible today, and they are abounding in the area that continue to speak to the judgment of God upon sin at that very time. Another very clear example is when Aaron made the golden calf. You remember how uh, Moses was up on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. The people became impatient, and they said, Up, Aaron, make us our gods, and they made a golden calf. Uh, it was what they learned in Egypt. That's what they had learned from the, the ungodly in Egypt. And when Aaron produced this calf, God was angry. And he spoke to Moses, and he said, I will wipe them out, and I will create for you another people. What did Moses do? 
Instead of saying, oh, yes, I would like a nation that were all Moses followers. I'm tired of these rebels. He could have had a nation of Mosesites. But no, he pleaded. And he pleaded mercy. And he pleaded the covenant of grace, Abram and Isaac. And he cried to God for mercy. And that's what every nation needs. Apply this to Canada tonight. Think of the idolatry that abounds, the rebellious attitudes, the sinfulness of this nation. What this nation needs is the mercy of God. And that's the work of the church. That's the work of the preacher. That's the work of God's people to be salt and light in the very midst of this world. My other example tonight was the exile of God's own people, Israel. You know how David conquered, Solomon built the temple, his sons fell into apostasy, they became like the other nations, and God allowed the enemies to come in and carry them off into exile. And King Zedekiah was the last of the kings of Israel and Judah. And then you have 400 years of no king no throne for Judah and Israel right up to the time of the Lord Jesus. The Chaldeans were conquered by the Persians, and then the Persians were conquered by the Greeks, and the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And when Christ was born, the people of Israel were under the heel of the Romans. And so Christ becomes the new king. There's never again to be a, a literal king to sit on the throne. And you know the history of A.D. 71, when the Titus, who was not yet an emperor, he was a Roman general, but he was commissioned by his father, Vespasian, who went to Judah, and he destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And historians, even Josephus, tells us that there were something like a million, 1.1 million people slaughtered at that time uh, at the raising and destruction of Jerusalem. And the people were taken off into the diaspora, some on ships to, to Egypt, and the people uh, were in great straits. They never had their own sitting king again. And so all Christ-rejecting nations are under God's wrath. We need to learn that lesson from the Bible. The only way to be spared from the wrath of God upon our nations is to have our Savior lifted up. He is our King of righteousness. He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And that's the gospel that we preach. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca.
This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.